Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Reg Christie, the infamous British serial killer, necrophile and star of the hit podcast series, The Other Side of Ten Rillington Place. I'm currently residing ten feet under Pentonville Prison, and proving to be a rather appetising worm feast. Oh yeah, you see ladies, even the worms want a bit of me. Right now, a little wiggly tease has snuck up me trouser leg, and is having a good old chomp on little Reg. Nom, nom, nom. But don't worry, girls. There's plenty enough for everyone. When I wasn't doing killings and shagging corpses, because normal sex don't give me a boner like, I used to love a nice brew. Mmm, a lovely steamy pot really hits the spot. In fact, not only were the ladies lured into my lair by my good looks, my fit body, and my cheeky catchphrase, I wonder if you'd like a nice cup of tea. But also because it was served in a murder mile mug. Tea tastes great in a murder mile mug. So go on, treat yourself. Because if you don't, it could be the last treat you ever have. Cheerio! So, my lovable band of twisted true crimers, if you fancy a murder mile mug, badges, ebooks, or a Reg Christie ringtone, they're all available in the Murder Mile merch shop. All proceeds are gratefully received and help keep this impoverished podcast alive. But before you dash to the shop, there's this. Friends, welcome to Mini Mile, your indispensable compendium of UK true crime trivia. This week, we'll ask which serial killers and murderers were disabled. What's the best way to clean up after a murder? How much do things cost in prison? We read a rather mundane letter by a serial killer. And we meet a London weirdo with a very novel way of extinguishing fires. And with only a few weeks until the brand new series of Murder Mile's multi-part series, here's this week's episode of Mini Mile. So let's kick things off with a little How do you do? By learning more about some infamous murderers and serial killers on a more social level. This week, disability. We often assume that serial killers, murderers and criminals are able-bodied and have full use of their senses. But which of them didn't? 
Just to clarify, I won't be including any mental disabilities as the list would be endless, nor any killers with debilitating but not disabling conditions, such as Dennis Nielsen, who had lifelong stomach issues, and Dennis Radder, aka BTK, who suffered from scoliosis, a painful curvature of the spine. Right, number one. Obviously, we have to have Oscar Pistorius, the infamous Blade Runner, T-44 and T-43 double amputee athlete, who famously won gold in the 100, 200 and 400 meter sprint in the 2008 Paralympics, and gold at the 100 and 400 meter sprint in the more important 2012 Olympics, who has since been convicted of the murder of his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp, having shot her multiple times, believing she was a burglar. Yeah, whatever. Number 2. Sesaku Nakamura, the Japanese deaf serial killer, also known as the Hamamatsu Deaf Killer, who stabbed nine people to death during the 1930s and 40s. In 1938, he raped and murdered two women whilst he was aged just 14, and over the next four years, he'd kill and injure seven more people, including his brother, father, sister, brother's wife and child, as well as a random couple and their family. When arrested, he admitted to two more murders, and he was executed shortly following his trial. Number 3. Baljit Singh Butta In August 2001, following a beef in a beauty salon, wannabe gangster Baljit Singh Butta was shot and seriously wounded in a shooting in East Vancouver. Shot in the chest, head and neck, with what witnesses describe as his brains on the floor, no one thought he'd survive. But he did. And yet, even though he was now a blind quadriplegic, living in a care facility, Baljit later confessed to multiple gangland hits in 2004, three years after his life-changing injuries. But being unable to try him for murder, he was tried for murder conspiracy, confined to his care facility, and he died in 2011. Number 4. Jake Fairest, Warwick Tui, and Georgia Fields, three deaf housemates who in 2016 in Melbourne, Australia, were found guilty of the murder of their friend, Robert Wright, after they threw him off a second floor balcony. When the police checked the CCTV footage, the threesome was seen signing to each other. Georgia asked Jake, you want dead or alive, and how die? Jake signed, can strangle neck area, what do you think? Warwick signed, strangle risky. Georgia signed, fall good. Deemed unfit to stand trial, owing to their mental impairments, Jake and Warwick were committed to a treatment facility, and Georgia avoided jail and was confined to her home to live with her parents. Number 5. Joseph Messer Jr. In 2002, in Washington, D.C., deaf student Joseph Messer Jr. was found guilty of 15 charges, including robbery and murder of his classmates, Eric Plunkett and Benjamin Varner, in their freshman dormitory at Gallaudo University, a liberal arts college for the hearing impaired. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Number 6. Donald Lang In 1965, Donald was arrested for the murder of Chicago prostitute Ernestine Williams. Blood was found on his clothes, and his guilt was obvious. But because he was deaf, illiterate, and did not know lip-reading or sign language, he could not be convicted. 
He was confined to a mental hospital and was ordered to learn sign language so that he could stand trial, but he was unable to do so. When a key witness died, the case was dismissed and he was freed in February 1971. Five months after his release, he murdered another prostitute, Erlene Brown, and this time convicted to a maximum of 25 years in prison. But in 1975, this verdict was overruled at appeal, as his lawyers believed that Lang had not been able to adequately defend himself. As of today, he currently remains confined at the Chicago Reed Mental Health Facility. Of course, if you are blind, consider this. Over the period of their incarceration, having been trained as a Braille typist, Dennis Nielsen translated many books into Braille, and Edmund Kemper also recorded over 5,000 hours of audiobooks for the blind. So whatever you're currently reading or listening to, you could be listening to a serial killer. And putting murderers aside for a second, let's have a look at some criminals. Between 2003 and 2011, Gary Foster, who although legally blind, climbed to the successful heights of becoming vice president of Citigroup Bank. He also stole $22.9 million by siphoning off the money into dummy bank accounts. He was sentenced to eight years in prison, and now he is free. In 2005, wheelchair-bound paraplegic Juan Romero Robles was charged with second-degree robbery, having stolen a woman's driving license and threatened to kill her with a fake gun that he had just stolen from a toy store. Juan was a gang member with previous convictions for robbery, rape, and he was a registered sex offender. He is currently serving a life sentence. In 2012, severely disabled Daniel Roque Hall, who is wheelchair-bound and suffers from Friedrich's ataxia, a life-shortening condition which requires him to have round-the-clock care, was sentenced to three years in Wormwood Scrubs prison, having smuggled £300,000 worth of cocaine in his wheelchair. He pleaded not guilty, stating that he was groomed, but was found guilty and was convicted. Interestingly, following the conviction of Andrei Chikatilo, the Russian serial killer who murdered at least 53 women and children in Rostov, a recent study by the University of California showed an odd correlation between the frequency of his murders, the pattern of his brain waves, and the intervals between his epileptic seizures. The research is ongoing and is currently inconclusive. But of course, disease can also be a disability, especially for those on death row. On the 1st of October 2019, in Missouri, Russell Earl Bucklew, who was convicted of murder, kidnapping and rape, was executed by lethal injection. But his death sentence did receive a brief stay of execution, as he suffered from a rare condition called cavernous hemangioma, which causes blood-filled tumours to grow on his head, neck and throat, and which they feared, during his execution, could painfully burst. He was confirmed dead at 6.23pm, and the state prosecutor said his death was peaceful. Well, of course they did. And if you were listening to that bit whilst having a burger, a sausage, or some yummy blood-filled black pudding, I hope I haven't put you off your meal. Although I suspect I have. <laughs>
And now, as there's no extra mile in the mini-mile episodes, gasp, horror, where will you get your ready supply of utter waffle from when the waffle shop is shut? Well, just for you, here's a tiny trickle of extra mile to tide you over. Oh look, there's a dog barking. I wish it would shut up. Oh look, there's a man with a lawnmower. I wish he would stop. Oh look, there's Mr Coot, getting jiggy with Mrs Coot. I wish my binoculars weren't steamed up. (sighs) And now, back to the show. It's time to get technical. Let's get technical! And by technical, I don't mean technical like a classic British construction worker, where ten men stand around one man doing a little bit of digging as they all point, shrug and drill into things until it bursts, but mostly stand around chatting, doing two minutes of work, and then they all go to the cafe for a lovely cup of tea, and then order a bacon roll, which they all shove into their gobs and swallow without letting it touch the sides or even chewing, and all before they've even been handed their change. No, I mean, let's get technical. So let's strip away the fluff, stuff, and nonsense from all those CSI-style crime shows and ask, how exactly does it work? This week, what's the best way to clean up after a murder? Murder? Hello? Oh my god, that reminds me of my boyfriend. He was a bloody murder. Ah, now that was a murder I'm sure you'll applaud. Oh my god, I'm like... So dying? Quick, let's take a selfie and see how many likes we get. Today we'll be looking at how to effectively clean up blood, vomit, urine, feces and semen. All key indicators which can link a perpetrator to a crime scene. Or any night out in Newcastle. So firstly, how can you superficially clean up a murder scene so it'll pass a visual inspection? Number one, wee-wee, or as adults call it, urine. Urine can contain cells which contain trace elements of DNA, as well as occasionally blood and other characteristics useful for toxicology, chemical analysis and identification. As urine is almost 100% water, it can easily be removed with the use of hot water and a household detergent. Number two, poo-poo or as the adults call it, faeces. Faeces can tell an investigator many different details about the victim, as mentioned in mini-mile number 7, such as how, where, when and what they last ate, what drugs, alcohol or poisons are in their system, what diseases they have, and even what kind of mood they were in at their last meal. And although faeces also contains hydrochloric acid, which is the basic contents of our stomach bile, which destroys DNA. Feces also contains blood and skin from the bowel, intestines and the anus, which are not destroyed. So to remove feces, if it is solid, it's best to let it air dry, pick it up and then clean the area as you would with wee-wee. Or if it's not solid, treat it like vomit. Number three, vomit, also known as spew. Again, vomit contains hydrochloric acid, 
but also skin, blood and mucus from the digestive tract and the mouth, so DNA can be present. Hospital cleaners advise sprinkling onto the vomit baking soda, leaving it to dry, and then scraping off the excess vomit. Then mix one tablespoon of detergent, white wine vinegar, and two cups of warm water, and then blot the stain until it is completely absorbed. And then sponge the area with cold water to remove the detergent and vinegar solution. Number four, blood. All right, blood, do you get me? If you get blood on your clothes, you never wash it out with hot water or warm water, but cold water, as cold water helps the blood cells rehydrate into its natural state. It's also best to remove the stain whilst it's still wet. As with vomit, blood can be removed by sprinkling it with salt, letting the crystals absorb the blood, and once it's dry, you can hoover up the blood crystals and blot the area until it's dry. Obviously, when I say hoover the area, that's a British colloquialism meaning to vacuum, and not to hold Jade Gahoover by the feet and make him lick it up. Although I'm sure he would do a great job. Number five, semen, also known as spooge. This is not something you want left of the crime scene, as although it is smaller in quantity, apparently, contains less harmful acids, unless you drink a lot of Pepsi, and it is an entire library of information for investigators and has a DNA profile which can be taken from it years and even decades later. Semen is tricky to remove even at high temperatures and after several washes it can still remain, so I'm told. So a solution of hot water and strong bleach or detergent is needed. But bleach itself does leave a very obvious stain, which we'll get into shortly. So if you're a sex pest, stay tuned. Uh, cheers, Mike. We'll do. But this is just superficial cleaning. It'll pass a visual inspection, but as you'll know if you've listened to Mini Mile Number One, nothing more advanced like luminol. So where are the problems? Speed. You have to get to the stain quickly before it dries. If it's still in liquid form and contains higher levels of water, it's easier to remove. But as its water content dries, it's harder to erase. Luckily, I've got a really fast wrist action. Water. When water is used to clean up a stain, if water remains on the surface too long and you don't softly blot the area until it is completely dried, the water will leave a very clear stain, which to any investigator is as obvious as blood and shows that a cleanup has taken place. Alternatively, You could just live in a right pigsty. Nice. Bleaches. There's two kinds of bleaches in most home products. Chlorine bleach and oxygen bleach. Chlorine bleaches can visually remove blood, but luminol will still show up the hemoglobin in the blood, even after several washes using chlorine bleach. Whereas oxygen bleach uses hydrogen peroxide. So after a few hours of soaking, it completely destroys the haemoglobin and can no longer be detected. But as with blood, the use of bleaches is evident, so although the DNA no longer exists, a cleanup is obvious as it leaves very visible marks and discolors any materials and even skin. Cool! I'll just tell the rosers I was drying my hair. Down there. Do you get it? 
E... Acids. Hydrochloric, nitric and sulfuric acid pretty much destroy everything, whether DNA, skin, blood, semen. But large quantities of acid are hard to come by for the average person. And its purchase leaves a trail. And again, it also leaves a very big stain. And finally, fire. Fires are easy to start. They require very little experience. And fires can destroy everything, but they are really obvious. And modern fire investigation skills can easily determine the difference between an arson and an accident by the presence of accelerants. One interesting way that investigators can determine if a fire was the work of an arsonist and who they were is by searching the neighbouring bushes for human poo-poo. As because serial arsonists get sexually excited by the sight of things burning and this causes them to poo. Cheers, Mike. Note to self. Bring loo paper. Honestly, those dirty little perverts... They truly put the sin in incinerate, the arse in arson, and the eye in pyromaniac. And by eye, he means the winking brown eye, the spackling bumhole, the rusty stinkhole, the... Yes, yes, thank you, they get the idea. Eee, face. Right, now, as officially the world's poorest podcaster, who earns so little money that homeless tramps give me their spare change. Mr Kipling's Cakes has set up a food bank just for me. I wish. The Soho Crack Addicts are holding a sponsored No Rocks October in my honour. Children in Chinese sweatshops send me £10 a month. An African village has bought me a goat. Pandas are worried about whether I'll go extinct. And the United Nations has designated my bank account as a disaster zone as well as my waistline, my love life, my sex life, and my social life. As everywhere I walk, people weep. I am so poor, mostly because it takes the economy of a whole country just to keep Eva in shoes, I have to whore myself out by playing adverts. But for fear of being arrested for human rights abuses, my podcast host, Acast, have been subpoenaed by the Court of Human Rights at The Hague, and they have assured me There will be one advert in this week's show, just to save me from death's door. Oh, there's that rather cheesy phone sound effect again. Hmm, I wonder who it could be. Hello, it's Mike. Hiya, Acast here. Oh, hi Acast. So, how was the Hague? Oh, we had a rat fab time we did. Because we were close. We went to Amsterdam. Oh, it was ace. We ate our weight in vodka jelly shot pancakes. We smoked the world's longest spliff, shaped like a sumo. We swam in a white wheat, beer-filled jacuzzi, wearing clogs. Joined a skydiving sex club karaoke. We all brought cannabis-infused gimp suits, windmill-shaped butt plugs, and knobbly chocolate dildos, which were supposed to have built-in Wi-Fi but just turned out to be someone's wife who had one eye. And then we made a rad, dirty porn film, in which we subjected podcasters to do really lewd things. Really lewd things. Oh, and then we went to see some mad deaf bloke's art, which was shit. Uh Aha. And how was the court case? 
Huh? The one you were subpoenaed to attend. Huh? The one which stated, by law, you are to put an advert in my show, otherwise I'll die of hunger? Huh? <sighs> so will there be an advert? Uh, yeah. Will there? Yeah. Will there? Yeah. Is that a yeah you're fully complying with the European Convention on Human Rights? Or yeah, as in no, you forgot, as you were too mashed off your tits to remember? You know, Mark, I don't know. Well, let's see. Here's either an advert or a gap. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And now. <laughs> so hungry. So weak. Can barely continue. <laughs> and now, on with the show. Now I'm a free man, let's return to the relatively new section, which is called Doing Bird. So following my unfortunate incarceration in Her Majesty's prison, having been sentenced to six years in Chokey, not for historical sex crimes, as you might expect from an ex-BBC person, but because I broke a very important law. Section 7012A of the 2009 Liquor Purchasing Act, Milad in which the fat, bald offender did maliciously and grievously fail to ask if I wanted crisps, nuts or pork scratchings with my pint. Once again, officer, I apologise. So during my time inside, I researched about life in prison. This week's question is how much do things cost in prison? In British prisons, money and the loaning or borrowing of personal items is strictly forbidden. This is to limit the number of disputes over debts, and although some basic essentials are paid for by the state, such as clothing, food, bedding and some toiletries, 
Prisoners do receive a mandatory cell wage of £5 a week, plus an allowance of between £4 and £25 a week, depending on their category, behaviour, duties and how hard they work. Inside most prisons, there is a canteen and a shop, where prisoners can buy additional legitimate items using their weekly allowance. And in Scotland, at least, they're surprisingly cheap, which has caused a bit of a rumpus. Well, doomed. For example, in prison, a can of Pringles is 50p cheaper, a pack of Hobnob biscuits is 40p cheaper, pot noodle is 25p cheaper, a pack of 10 Lambert and Butler cigarettes is 75p cheaper. Oh yes, all the essentials are there. And that staple of the Scottish diet. No, not fruit, obviously. No, not Tennant's super-strength lager on toast. Not heroin-infused haggis. Or deep-fried, whiskey-flavoured clouty pudding. Although that does sound rather smashing. No, it's Scotland's favourite breakfast, Scots porridge oats which you can buy in the prison shop for 5p cheaper than in Tesco's. Oh, come on, Ag. Go rob a bank, girl, will ya? 5p a week, over a year, that'll save us almost a pound. Okay, look, as I'm half Scottish, I'll only apologise for half of that joke. Although, hands up, that accent was unforgivable. So what about the things the shop can't provide for a prisoner's needs? What about contraband? Cigarettes. Convicted prisoners are allowed to keep up to 62.5 grams of tobacco, or 80 cigarettes, which seems fair enough. But as cigarettes are in high demand and can be easily traded for contraband items, this has created a black market where, it has been said, a single cigarette has been sold for up to £20 and a small pouch of tobacco for £200 especially since the 2007 smoking ban, when some prisons went smoke-free. In the last few years, the prison system has spent £100,000 on vape kits to try and resolve this problem. Mobile phones. Illegal in prison, and yet in 2017, over 15,000 handsets and SIM cards were confiscated in UK prisons. SIM cards, the size of your fingernail and as thin as your credit card, can be easily smuggled in, and with prisoners only allowed to make landline phone calls, all of which are screened, text messages are forbidden, and access to the internet is strictly limited, SIM cards, which are cheap and are even free on the outside, can be sold for £30, £50 and even £100 inside. There are also even really tiny mobile phones, such as the GT Star Mini BM50, which is entirely made of plastic so it's not picked up by the prison scanners. And it's as small as your finger, for obvious reasons. And on the outside, they sell for £15. But inside prison, they can be sold for between two to £300 a piece, with some phones, depending on the spec, for up to £1,000. The upside is that in prison you get to make unlimited calls. The downside is, number one, if you're found, your sentence can be increased. Number two, your phone smells like another man's ass. And three, imagine the poor bloke who had to smuggle in the phone's charger. Youch. Drugs. The Prison Officers Association estimates the value of the drug market inside UK prisons at £100 million a year 
With a whopping 189 kilos of drugs confiscated in UK prisons in 2017. So lucrative is the prison black market, with many drugs selling for 10 times their street value inside, that convicts actually get themselves re-arrested for minor offences so they can be re-returned to prison, having first concealed contraband about their person. And by about their person, I mean up their bum-bum, their foo-foo, and down their foreskin. Eek! I guess that's why some drugs are often referred to as the good shit. These drugs can include Spice, a synthetic psychoactive chemical cocktail which is dubbed the zombie drug because it turns the user temporarily into a motionless drooling zombie. It costs just £3 on the outside but is sold at 33 times its price on the inside, almost £100, and as it's highly addictive, ex-convicts, whose prison allowance can be as low as just £20 a month, can make £3,000 in a day, having smuggled in just 28 ounces of spice into prison. The same goes with other drugs. Cocaine. Depending on the quality, it sells for £40 to £100 a gram on the outside, but £400 to £1,000 on the inside. Heroin. It's roughly £100 a gram on the outside, but £1,000 to £1,500 on the inside, all of which is low quality, having been cut and mixed with baking powder, washing powder, shredded carpet and battery acid. Cannabis. On average, it is about £150 an ounce on the outside, but when broken down into separate baggies, an ounce brought inside for £800 can easily earn that prisoner £2,800. Failing that, there's always alcohol or homemade hooch, which can be made from fruit and vegetable peel, sugar, syrup and crumbled bread, which acts as the yeast. It's pretty foul stuff, it can be very pungent, and it also needs a very cool and dark place to ferment. And that, unfortunately, is why it's often referred to as toilet wine. The rule of thumb in prison seems to be anything from the shop will be cheap but boring and anything that is contraband will stink like it's been shoved up a man's plot pipe which it has. So when I'm next in prison I think I'll smuggle in some hand sanitizer, some moist bottom wipes and a large can of air freshener. What's that plopping through my letterbox? Is it a legal letter from Eva Green, again making sexy demands on my exhausted body? For God's sake, woman, I'm not a machine! Possibly. Is it a postcard from an ex-convict trying to sell me access to their particularly capacious anus for 40 quid? Only in Soho. Is it fan mail from Mel Gibson asking me how I managed to perfect my Scottish accent? only to then racially abuse me, call me sugar tits, and rant about how you could blow me in a jacuzzi. Not yet. Nope, it is, of course, the dead letter drop. Yes, each week I'll read you a rather mundane letter written by a serial killer. This week is the turn of William George Bonin one of several US serial murderers who were known as the Freeway Killer. Between 1979 and 1980, Bonin raped, tortured and murdered at least 21 boys and young men 
whose bodies were dumped along the freeway in Southern California. He was convicted of 14 murders, and after 14 years on death row, he was executed by lethal injection at San Quentin State Prison in 1996. This letter was written on the 9th of February 1994, 12 years after his trial and two years before his death, in which he whinges about his injured shoulder, his artwork, his money, and on the second page, which unfortunately I don't have, possibly a rant about how huge mobile phones are in the 1990s, how the one he has is the size of a breeze block, how he can no longer sit down, how his liver hits redial every time he sneezes, and how he hates the way he has to spend nine hours a day standing by a power socket with the charger cord sticking out of his anus. I'm guessing. This week, even though William was an American, I shall perform this in my birth accent. As being a Brummie, I used to sound like Benny from Crossroads. Yes, Miss Doyen. And I should also point out I may have also put one or two sarcastic comments in this letter. So here goes. Dear, name redacted, I received your letter dated January the 31st this evening. Yes, I was wondering why I hadn't heard from you. I was beginning to think you hadn't received my last letter, and I was about to write again. I'm relieved to hear that you did indeed receive my last letter. Wow, this is gripping stuff, isn't it? Someone call Mr Spielberg. I think we found his next movie. I've had to cut down on the weightlifting... For some reason, my arm and my shoulder wasn't getting any better. Obviously, this has got nothing to do with the fact that he's single, feeling a bit lonely, and he's got four arms the size of Popeye the Sailor. But anyway. I was about to see the doctor a week ago last Monday, and he told me to give up weightlifting altogether. He told me that I had tendonitis, and that it would clear up after a while, and that it took different lengths of time for each individual. Eee, Mike, that's a great excuse. I think I've developed tendonitis in my wrist too. Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
I share with you another true crime podcast, which you might like or might not like. The choice is yours. Here's a clip. Hey, I'm bro. Hey, I'm dude. <laughs> Shut the f*** up, dude. Say, bro. We are the fucking true crime dudes. Yeah, fucking A. And when we ain't chugging brewskis, getting stoned, and shouting, fuck I charge you $50 a month to listen to me disrespect women in a crass and unfunny way, while I drone on endlessly about how fucking great I am, and bullshit you about how when the cops get stuck, which is always, uh, they use my fucking immense knowledge to solve every crime, because I'm the fucking king of fucking true crime. Yeah! When in fact, I'm 52, I've never worked, I live at home with my mom, and I just want to be loved. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, what do I do in the podcast, bro? (laughs) Shut the f*** up, dude! Sorry, bro. Uh, Beer? Oh yeah, that's it. This week's fucking case is about my man, Ted fucking Bundy. What a legend. I'm toasting a brewski to Bundy. And today, I'm rocking my Bundy t-shirt, my Bundy cap, my Bundy pants, and a tattoo of Bundy's fucking face on my fucking face. Whoa! Now, I'd love to tell you the whole Bundy story, but every book on Bundy is full of this Bullshit about the victim. What the fuck has the victim got to do with true crime, dude? I mean, they're fucking stupid for getting fucking killed in the fucking first place. Dumbasses. Uh, bro, aren't they, like, uh, important? Shut the fuck up, dude. Ah, fuck it. We're the true crime dudes. And if you don't like that, blow me. No, please. Blow me. I'm so lonely. Sadly, the True Crime Dudes podcast is no longer available. As shortly after recording this promo, Dude was murdered by Bro after he rejected his sexual advances. And Bro's head ended so far up his own ass, he inhaled himself from ears to arsehole, lips to lips, and guts to gooch. I know, it's very sad. And now... On to the final section of Mini Mile. A newish bit I'm calling London, London Weirdos. Alright, mate. Alright, geez. Is you a bit of a loony or a right frickin' Fruit Loop? Me? I'm a natter. Lovely jabbly. Come on in. But don't dribble on me, Bulldog. This week, I shall entertain you with a little tale about Joseph Small, a visitor from Sheffield, up north to the lovely city of London, Ingerland, who had an unusual way of extinguishing fires. Are you sitting comfortably? Yes. Well, that's lucky, because he wasn't. In 2013, 20-year-old Joseph Small came down from Sheffield to London to do a deal on a used car. And whilst he was in the capital, he had... Maybe one or two many alcoholic beverages? On the 30th of October, 
While staying at the Premier Inn in Leicester Square, one street south of Soho, Mr. Small jumped out of a storage cupboard, stripped naked, grabbed a fire extinguisher off the wall and shoved the hose of it up his bottom. And then he began fiddling with his willy in front of shocked staff. Mr. Small, which is his name and not a comment on his manhood, then urinated on the carpet and the lift door. And as he was escorted to the hotel reception by staff, who shielded his piddling pecker with a towel, he hurled obscenities at a Bangladeshi man, saying, This country has been taken over by Al-Qaeda. Go back to Pakistan. He then urinated in the hotel lobby, while shouting, I come from Sheffield in England. I'm an Englishman. Ah, it makes you proud to be British. When arrested by the police, he threw off his towel, urinated some more, then abused the officers by calling one of them Turkish, one of them a Romanian, and the other one a pedo. Yes, he'd probably ran out of countries that he could remember. When Mr. Small sobered up, having no recollection of the night before, and having seen the CCTV footage, he was charged with criminal damage worth £5,400, racially aggravated harassment, and outraging public decency. He pleaded guilty to all charges at Westminster Magistrates Court. In court, Mr. Small said, I have friends in all different ethnic groups. I'm truly ashamed of myself. And so you should be, you dirty boy. If anyone believes in reincarnation, just pray that you don't come back as the hose of that fire extinguisher. That said, if any of you end up in prison before me, and you need a new phone, a charger, a pack of hobnobs, some Scots porridge oats, and a large can of air freshener, Joseph Small is your man. And now you know. So, my beloved friends, that was your weekly dose of Mini Mile. I hope it was original, different, and an interesting companion to your regular Murder Mile, which returns soon. And if you have any comments about Mini Mile, if there are any original questions you're desperate for me to answer, or any unusual topics you'd love me to research and discuss, let me know. Contact me via email, my website, or social media. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters who are Patricia Keller, and of course my current Patreon supporters, who stuck with Murdermouth through thick and thin, and of course all of my loyal listeners, whose love and support truly keeps Murdermile going. Mini Mile returns next week. Love to you all. Tatty bye! Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.